think an editor is, um, you know, obviously incredibly significant to every film because film is such a, a snapshot in time in many ways where you're, you know, you're shooting various frames. You have all these collaborators, the director, the writer, everybody on set. But if you don't have someone that basically combines them into a still, not a still, but a moving body of film, then it really exists um, in, a, in a separate state, right? So is that what exactly appealed to you as, you know, to become an editor and to sort of be part of that part of the business as opposed to sort of some of these other elements or these other, um, you know, sort of roles on set? Well, I think it's the closest to watching movies um, yeah. of any job um, in in the business. Uh, it's I love movies and um, sitting in an editing room and looking over footage is the closest to that experience and making making edits so that it's more and more like something you've seen and enjoyed. You love movies. I mean, when did that begin? Pretty early. Um, I had no idea I would be in working in film, but yeah. I certainly was a film fan growing up, um, you know, from earliest age. You know, what, were, what were the films? What were the seminal works? Some seminal films? Yeah. Um, Badlands. Okay. Um, Whoa, nice. Was really important to me. I think uh, it it was on television. Yeah. So and repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So I got to watch it a lot. Um, and there's a lot of chases in that too. Was that something that appealed to you in terms of putting uh, that together? Or? I think just the story and the it's sort of a road movie and it's sort of a coming of age movie in a way. And it really took me. It really inspired me to just think about, you know, another existence other than you know my New Jersey upbringing yeah um, where in New Jersey uh, originally Trenton New Jersey and uh, Trenton makes the world takes correct yeah <laughs> um, and uh, after that the out outskirts of Trenton uh, my uh, family I grew up in the city of Trenton with you know on a dead-end street mm. um, and then uh, at a certain point you started moving to the suburbs of yeah Trenton. Uh, dead end street was that uh, is that a good kind of metaphor for the type of like atmosphere you were in, or did you did you feel like you had a lot of friends and that it, there was some activity going on? Um, that block that was really until I was twelve or thirteen. Um, that block was certainly its own little community. Mm -hmm. um, later we moved further away, and I didn't really have neighborhood friends, but I had school friends. Yeah, and um, you know I had. Uh, friends from my the country club we belonged oh, to. Oh, nice. We were an upper middle class family. Um, what did your family do for work? Um, my dad uh, was a physician. He was mm. a general practitioner. Um, uh, in many ways, the immigrant success story. He yeah. was born in Russia. Wow. Um, his father was a kosher butcher, mm -hmm. and uh, he managed to get himself into Yale. Um, graduated from Trenton High School. My mother, uh, she was uh, the um, daughter of a, a, a man who owned a bar, um, mm. and she also went to Trenton High School, and yeah. she became a teacher, um, and then raised four kids, I'm the youngest. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, my, my family's also, uh, I mean, my mom's also a physician, so I, I kind of get that 
the mindset. So then um, in terms of, uh, you know, so you had the kind of Yale, I mean, because you ended up going to Yale as I well, also right? Yale, yeah. So what was the, what were the interests in, um, I mean, was film kind of the main thing all throughout school and high school? Did you play sports? Did you, were you involved in other things also? Um, it wasn't really film for me. Hmm. It was, I was a film fan, but yeah. I had, I, and certainly went to the movies a lot. And um, I remember many um, long conversations, particularly with my mother yeah. about the movies we would go see. There was a foreign film. Um, there was a, a small theater that played foreign films. I remember when I was in high school, my mom used to go fairly frequently, and we would talk about the films. And it was, um, but you know, also with my siblings and and friends, we would always talk about movies. But this was never. I didn't know that that could be a job. Yeah. Um, I just had no conception. I didn't know anybody who worked in the arts at all. Um, my, uh, I think my dad had a cousin who uh, was a classical violinist and a conductor, and that's about it, and I barely knew him. Um, yeah. But it was just, you're a doctor, a lawyer, or possibly a teacher. Um, was that kind of the path? That was for the you? path, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you did. I mean, you, so you didn't. You didn't end up doing that, right? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did they? How did they feel about that? Were they pretty supportive, or were they kind of rigid in their uh, in their demands? Well, um, my mom was always very supportive. My father, not so much. Yeah, and do you think that was because they wanted something more "quote unquote" stable or something, uh, you know, more traditional? I think just something they understood, or he understood. So when you say that you talked about film, uh, you talked about films with your friends and then also with your mom. I mean, what, what did you talk about exactly? Did you talk about the technical aspects? Did you talk about, I really liked th this performance was believable, this one not so much? Um, I think performance and story and why you liked it or didn't like it. Yeah. Same things I talk about all yeah. the time. With <laughs> you still talk about them, yeah. I talk about them in the cutting room, yeah. yeah. Why, why, you know, do you believe this performance? Do you not believe that performance? Um, uh, is it believable that uh, a character would do this or that at a certain moment? Yeah. Is the behavior, you know, is it familiar? Does it make sense? Yeah, definitely. Well, that's definitely a common theme, uh, behavior and the impact of, and all, I think, all of your films, at least most of your films, but so when you're, so you go through high school, you're in New Jersey this whole time, I guess, and then you end up going to Yale. So what do you study there? Comparative literature. Mm. With, um, and the aim was? Uh, good question. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I had a real aim. Okay. Um, I, I think I, um, I, uh, I certainly loved English and French, and those were my, I had spent a summer in France during high school, and, mm -hmm. uh, or part of a summer. I even, actually, during college, took a semester off and lived in Paris for wow. about six months. Um, uh, I was didn't really know what I wanted to be, and I was a good student. I wasn't a spectacular student, but mm -hmm. I was a very good student, and I thought I'd go to graduate school. Um, Possibly, but the field I chose was incredibly competitive, and I actually ran into um, some academic, um, uh, traditional academic uh, rules that yeah. what I wanted to do, which was right about, it wasn't in the canon. Okay. So um, comparing Wallace Stevens to a French uh, poet named Henri Michaud was not uh -huh. acceptable to one of my readers. <laughs> And uh, I wasn't very smart about 
navigating the politics of academia. Yeah, and it is very political, it, it very is. bureaucratic. I, I learned that at age 20 or something, you know, 20 or 21, and decided it really wasn't for me because I, I wasn't, if I couldn't do that, why, why not compare these two writers? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I didn't understand why. I, the, I just didn't see why I would want to be in that world. What was the rationale behind not letting you do that? Just the, um, they let me do it, but yeah. they but they one one professor loved it and the other professor hated it mm. and he said it was everything wrong with comparative literature major. Yeah. Um, I was me. I was you know so it became sort of a an example of uh, some academic political thing that I had no idea even oh. existed. So it just didn't. It just wasn't for me. Do you find film is is political too? Film is incredibly political. <laughs> <laughs> in the business or even uh, inside on this on set and on like post production and stuff. Well, I'm rarely on set. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think the politics of uh, the world of producers and directors and getting financing and also yeah. even in festivals. Yeah. There's a ton of politics. Um, it just doesn't really interest me. However, and that might be. Why I've done such kind of offbeat films. <laughs> some offbeat, but some then offbeat, some also yeah. more kind of. I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but definitely, uh, I, I definitely see that you don't stay in a single genre. You don't stay in a single. Mm-hmm. You know, working with a single group of individuals. I mean, you have collaborated, but you tend to kind of venture off into like new territory. From what I've seen, in terms of the projects you use, the types of um, sequences that I see. Um, I mean, was that kind of a deliberate choice in terms of like wanting to push that? On every project? Um, no, I don't think it's deliberate. I yeah. think I try to do what's best for the each film I work on. Yeah. Um, and and I'm working, I'm collaborating with a director, and um, I'm guided by what they're looking for. Um, it doesn't mean I don't contribute my ideas of what I think it could be, mm-hmm. but the director is the director. I'm the editor. People don't really remember my name. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, man. <laughs> but um, for the most part, but um, they so the director's name is on it in a way that my name. I mean, I I work with a lot of different directors, so you know, um, but yeah. people know directors, and sometimes they know DPs, and sometimes they know producers, and but they I mean, editors right there, right? But they definitely know, and they definitely know actors. But, yeah, they but, know actors. Uh, no one really understands what editors even do, so. Mm. It's a very mysterious job, and it, and actually, even working as as an assistant editor and a yeah. trans editor, it took me a while to figure out actually what good editing was. Hmm. Uh, what what were what were some of those first projects? I mean, what do you do after you go to Yale? Um, I got a job in publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a copy editor, and and that that was that to placate your parents? No, that was just okay. A, Okay. Just to support myself. Okay. Um, I was determined to, uh, I, you know, I thought maybe that would be my future. I, I didn't love publishing. I was yeah. just really interested in books, and I was good at being a copy editor, which mm-hmm. requires a lot of language skills yeah. and uh, patience, and I, I have those uh, qualities. Yeah. Um, I became very quickly bored with that, mm-hmm. um, but I met... Uh, a young man who was a uh, uh, an NYU film school <coughs> dropout, um, and we would talk about movies as I like to do. Yeah, and uh, he was like, "You should be a producer." And uh, who was that? Who was that? Uh, his name is uh, Gil Kaufman. Okay, I'm long out of touch with him. Mm-hmm. 
But he was very good friends at the time with um, another NYU film student, uh, either recently graduated or still in school, yeah. and that was Todd Solons. Oh, um, yeah, wow. Yeah. And he said, you should meet Todd. And I did, and Todd and I became friends. And I never worked with Todd, but um, that was kind of my, uh, this concept of working in film I really owed to this guy, Bill Kaufman, yeah. uh, actually, because I just never even considered it as a, as a job. Wow. So um, that kind of un unpacked or unleashed the notion that you could do it as a job a little bit more? Yeah, just because there was somebody I knew who worked, yeah. who was, went to film school. Yeah. I just didn't know anybody like that. Yeah. What time. was Todd like at that time? Uh, could you see the dollhouse and the happiness movies inside him? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, ha happiness is such a masterpiece. I, yeah. I just... It's such a great film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was very funny. He's very much himself. Yeah. Um, he had recently, like, straight out of, I think, while he was at NYU, he had a th his shorts were doing really, really well. He had a three-picture deal with Columbia mm. um, and was riding high at that time. Then he made a film that um, made him want to leave the film business. It's it called Fear, Anxiety, and Depression. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, and that's actually after that was when he and I became closest, um, when he wasn't in film, um, and he was he was teaching English mm. to Interesting. Uh, Russian students. He went, to, yeah. He didn't he, he go also to Yale went to Yale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna yeah. say. So then, I didn't know him there. Yeah, yeah. So um, all right. So you're meeting these guys. You're kind of, um, you know, you're definitely still watching films. You're still compulsively interested in that. So then, um, I mean, you you ended up on um, Sense and Sensibility, right? At some point. I did. Yeah, I was. What was that? What was your role on that? What was that experience? Um, that was late in my assistant career. Okay. I uh, was uh, working on the film Conform. These were the early days of um, using digital editing, mm -hmm. um, and you would maintain a work print uh, so you could screen on film. Yeah, and that's what I was doing. I, 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 I was uh, uh, my early assistant and apprentice days were as were working on film. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of the last generation of film assistant. Do you miss those days? I do. Yeah. I actually really loved working with film. It was, Why? It, um, I loved the physicality of it. I loved the teamwork that you need to have a film cutting room. Yeah. Um, not that there isn't teamwork in the digital world. Yeah. There is, mm -hmm. but it... Not the same as cutting with a razor blade. It's exactly a splicer yeah. and maintaining uh, reels and reels of 35 millimeter footage or, or 60 millimeter footage, depending on the project. Yeah. Um, uh, organizing it so you can find a, a piece of film, you know, really quickly for the, for the editor. Um, that was the world I grew up in and it was kind of different. Yeah. And you didn't know how to, you know, computers were, or nothing. Yeah. You you know you you would you'd really I mean from an editing perspective I I'm fortunate that I was able to edit a feature on film my first feature that was the last time I I cut on film. What was that one? That never came out. Okay. Um, but uh, it's funny because I, I talked to <laughs> that director actually this morning. Oh, um, nice. It's called Eerie. Mm. Um, it, it was it pretty eerie. Not really. It's yeah. kind of uh, an arty 
comedy okay. mystery with Felicity Huffman, mm. who had done some things at that time, um, and Will Arnett, who had done nothing. Yeah, um, it was his first film role. Um, that director's name is Phil Hartman, um, and he wow, not not that yeah. Phil Hartman. Um, yeah. And uh, he actually, th th we finished the film, it took years, yeah. um, just stops and starts and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and then it was very much about the breakup of his marriage at the time. Mm. Um, and his kids were in the film. And I think he needed to kind of put it aside um, and not have this. Yeah, too exposure. close to the chest. It was a too bit. close. Yeah. And actually, today, he. He wants to do like an eerie redux. Okay. Um, Interesting. As a documentary using footage from Erie and um, interviewing potentially Will Arnett and Felicity Huffman. Um, wow. Who, a lot of a lot of changes have happened for all of us. Um, yeah. And anyway, it's set on the Erie Canal, and mm -hmm. it's a it's a really good film, and it was so lovely to work with Phil Hartman. I, I adore him. He's. Uh, He's a great guy. So. Yeah, both both Phil's yeah. are great. So then, um, uh, you, on that film, on Sense and Sensibility, because that's Tim, wasn't it Tim Squire? That yeah. that? He made all of Ang Lee's mm -hmm. films, from Crouching, uh, Crouching Tiger mm -hmm. um, to Life of Pi. So when you're when you're kind of working with you know uh, someone like that, especially as you're kind of getting um, a foothold in editing and being an assistant editor, do you are you sort of absorbing things from him? Are you picking up things? Are they pretty mentor mentory in terms of their interaction with you? Um, with Tim, uh, although I know Tim, and I, and I don't know Tim that well, mm -hmm. I was not really involved in the making of, you know, in the create. I, I wasn't. I was on kind of toward the end. Yeah, that's. Uh, I know that credit is on my IMDb page um, <laughs> fairly prominently. It's it's just like a big film. Yeah. Um, but uh, he wasn't. I, I wasn't so involved in in his process. Um, I was really there to conform the word print for yeah. screenings and, you know, was a layer or two away from that, you know, from the, where, where the cuts were being made. So, um, would you say Last Days of Disco is the first kind of, you're the editor on, on the film? I, I actually, uh, I had cut already a couple of features before okay. that. Um, I was, I had... <clears throat> I was an assistant on Barcelona, so I knew Wit. Mm -hmm. um, I shouldn't really talk about this stage of my career without mentioning uh, Chris Tellison, who edited uh, Metropolitan and Barcelona. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I worked with Chris on a number of films for uh, as his assistant uh, for off most for most of five years. Wow! And I learned from Chris. I really did learn um, and learned what being an editor was like. And Chris and I would talk movies all the time and Chris is a terrific editor um, and he edited those early uh, with Stillman films yeah so Witt knew me and asked me to to come on to do um, actually as an associate editor really I was a glorified assistant in that case he had somebody he worked with um, fell out uh, on um, on the TV show he did uh, I named which is escaping me mm -hmm. um, Anyway, that editor got sick, and I got bumped up and started cutting. Was that, because um, that film, I mean, that's a lot of music you're yeah. working with. Yeah. Uh, so is that is that kind of tricky in terms of transitions? I mean, how do you think about that? Because when you go from, um, 
like the Harold Melvin and all these, you know, different songs. And the I guess it was the '80s, right? Uh, the uh, time that they wanted to portray. You go from that to like office scenes and scenes on the street, scenes in that um, that railroad apartment. How do you? Is that sort of a challenge in order to in order in terms of making those transitions look clean? I mean, is that is that part of your job as well? Would you say? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because that's what we were talking about, about the fragmentation at the beginning and then putting that together and making it look like a film, right? That's what an editor does. Yes. How do you feel about um, music in film? Is that something that you think about or is that, do you feel like it's, um, it's more about putting everything together and music is just one part of it? Well, I should say that prior to working in film, um, I was a DJ in both in high school and in college. Oh, wow. um, so I was real I'm really into music. It's it's kind of this love of mine that um, I wouldn't I and I find editing film very musical. So there's a there's a music to the yeah. way you put images together. Um, and I really actually in retrospect I didn't know it at the time putting sets of music together is very is not so unlike putting shots of film yeah. together. So um, uh, I at least like to think I have a pretty musical ear, and you know, music is is this very powerful element in in film, story story, in, in storytelling. So um, from a technical perspective, I think if you're using music if, for score, yeah, um, I try to make scenes work without music first. Mm. Obviously, if it's a dance scene, you're going to want to have music. Um, there's a lot of dancing in Last Days of Disco. Yeah, um, lots of dancing. So yeah. I don't. So there, I would have that backing track yeah. initially. But uh, I'm I'm from the school of make it good before you put music on it and hide the the stakes. Yeah. Um, because you can. It should look good silent. Interesting. Yeah. So music should just be kind of a finishing touch, something that maybe is used to accentuate, but not as a replacement for a quality product, right? So then. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've done so many films. I've seen a lot of these, uh, to be honest. Um, but we have to talk about, uh, I guess, two films that did change my life. I saw one of them when I was probably 12. That I think it was Bully. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw that on IFC when IFC used to air, air films without um, ads or anything, and it was completely uncut. And, uh, yeah, it was wild. It totally, uh, definitely changed my life. It's something that I can still, I can still, when I close my eyes, I can see that film, to be honest. Especially that scene um, when it's Leo Fitzpatrick is like holding court about what they're gonna do. I guess they're in a backyard or something, and the, mm-hmm. it's uh, you're panning in a circle, right? You're mm-hmm. seeing Bijou, you're seeing uh, Rachel Hunter. Um, everybody is kind of in this. When you think about a scene like that, that circular pan, um, is that coming to you originally as sort of a fragment that you have to kind of connect, or are you seeing the full arc of that as you're editing it? That was the way. They decided to shoot that scene. Yeah. Was basically several takes in a, in a circular motion. Yeah. I, um, it's a, it was a controversial scene when they shot it. And mm-hmm. as editor, you're trying to think ahead. And I knew it was kind of dizzying. Yeah. And I thought there's a good chance people might not like it. Mm-hmm. And would be seasick, whatever you want to call yeah. it, uh, you know, um, not feel good about the way it was shot. So I asked for um, more coverage mm. just because I thought 
people might not like this. Not that I didn't like it, but that yeah. I just thought it would be an issue and then we wouldn't have any options. Um, we were shooting on a very tight schedule and a low budget yeah. and we did not get more coverage. Okay. <laughs> and I, you know, there are cuts in that scene. Um, uh, I, ma I managed to use, uh, to find some places to cut and edit to get editing together the best parts. But it wasn't, you know, that was a, a bit of a challenge. So, uh, yeah. I'm, by the way, thanks for, thanks for telling me that changed your life. Oh, because does, really, yeah. that, that's why I, I, that's what I want. I'm trying to do. I'm trying to affect people. When, when did you get, uh, when did you get in touch with Larry? Um, Chris Tolson had edited Kids. Mm. And um, I think uh, I, Larry had a, a, a movie he did after Kids called Another Day in Paradise with James okay. Woods yeah. and Melanie Griffith that um, I, I think he asked Chris to help him uh, recut, uh, do a recut. He needed to take some time out. I don't really know what yeah. the circumstances mm -hmm. were. I don't think Chris was available, or he didn't have enough money for Chris. And Chris recommended recommended me, and I worked with Larry for a couple of weeks on I not credited on Another Day in Paradise. We got along mm. really well. And um, what uh, was he like? Was he a pretty intense guy? Very intense guy. Yeah. Uh, I believe at that time he was a junkie. Mm. Um, by the time we did Bully, he was not. Um, wow, he made that clean. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, um, and also Ken Park, which uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen or oh, yeah. that. Yeah. There was another one in between Ken Park and Bully. Was that What's Up Rockers, maybe? Yeah, I think that was uh, after. No, What's Up Rockers was after, mm, uh, yeah. I believe. But um, uh, it was, it's a pretty obscure one. Uh, I don't remember the yeah, name. Yeah. He did for HBO. Anyway, yeah. anyway okay. um, he did three right in a row there. But yeah. Larry's... Uh, such a brilliant photographer. I knew his yeah. work really well. Um, it was just great working with him. I loved, I just love working with Larry. He's a true artist and um, yeah, just uh, brings a perspective that uh, I found, um, you know, not like anybody else. I mean, he's, he's a genius. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I mean, if, if, when you look at Bully, like all the scenes in the arcade, it's weird. I can't, I can't think of another film that's, uh, even comes close to looking exactly like that. It's very, you don't really know what the time is specifically. I know it's based on that Kent story and there is a timeline behind that, but uh, yeah, it's wild. When you, um, when you kind of reunited, I guess, in Ken Park, um, was it kind of like picking up where you left off in terms of working with him as a collaborator? Very much so. I think, I, I think from Bully, we went right into Ken Park. I, he shot another movie in between, but yeah. my work on Bully and Go, I think it was there was almost no time between that and Ken Park. Yeah, which is a, ver a very different feeling film. Again, about young people, but much more about the parents, and it's much more lyrical. Ed Lockman shot it. I mean, technically, Ed Lockman and Larry are co-directors, and Larry also shot some of the footage. But really, Larry was the director and Ed was the DP. Um, but um, I mean, the difference there was that Ed was in the cutting room. Mm. Um, when you see that, because both of these films, they're not your, uh, you know, your typical sort of feel-good movies. There's a lot of, um, I guess people pick apart um, some of that because of the violence and all the sex, like the drugs. When you look at it, when you look at those films as, I guess, a viewer, I mean, what is your, what is your feeling? Um, uh, how do you, how do you kind of 
interpret the work that you've done and that Larry's done and everyone else has done in making this sort of finished piece? Or is each one, I mean, I guess each one is different. Well, you get really close to these films. Yeah. Um, I think, for me, the kids in Bully, uh, you know, weren't so unlike some kids, not that I knew that well, but New Jersey? In, that I grew up with. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, um, I'm not, nobody, as far as I know, killed anybody, <laughs> but um, that kind of aimlessness hanging out, you know, going to the pool. Yeah. I wasn't really part of that, but I observed it from the outside. And those kids were kind of familiar um, on some level. And, you know, that's was one of the things that I... I, I mean, I, I don't... One of the things about Larry... Well, I, I, I don't know if this is really true, but okay. he... I feel that he... He, there's love for all the characters. He, mm. he he loves those characters. He he understands their pain. Even you know Next Bobby Kent. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the one of the things I love about Bully, uh, there's a lot of things, but is Michael Pitt's performance. I just think he's incredible playing uh, Donnie. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's really good. I, I mean, he was it was such a pleasure to edit Michael Pitt in that film. I he. Was doing something interesting every single take, and he brought a way of playing that character that I just don't think anybody else could have. He he loved Donnie in a way. Mm. He made Donnie kind of lovable, and, and you know he's kind of a goofball, yeah, kind of a goofball. And um, I don't know what Donnie was like in real life, but um, <laughs> for the film we made, I, you know, he was just great. He was. So Did you see him in that uh, the that Gus Last Days? Yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, and then also the Dreamers too. Very yeah, sure. yeah, I was really good in that. Yeah. All right, so then um, we can't, we obviously can't talk about all the films because you you always work and you're always you're very prolific. But um, we have to pick out a few, um, at least the ones that I guess resonated. Okay, a uh, couple of so um, in terms of collaborations, because you did, um, you have worked with uh, Brad Anderson, right? That was mm -hmm. fairly recently. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, did you see? Uh, I assume that you saw The Machinist, right? Before, yeah. what was it? When you think about the directors that you want to work with, because obviously when you're making a film, it's more than, it's probably more than just the, it's more than the finished product, right? You want to have a good experience. You don't want to be in a position where you're dealing with like a political bureaucracy element, which we talked about. So when you think about someone like Brad, I mean, you worked with him on Beirut. How did you, how did you end up going there? Because it seemed like as a from a genre perspective, that seemed to be a little bit of a shift, wouldn't you say? I mean, coming sure. away from you have been in, you obviously have worked on thrillers before, but this, and psychological thrillers, but this one, there's a lot of physical manifestations of that. Mm -hmm. um, so what led you to sort of, you know, uh, kind of talked about this a little bit, but in the context of Beirut and Brad, I mean, how did you, how do you decide to do that one? Well, I needed a job uh, yeah. available and he needed, needed an editor. Um, yeah. And um, I think uh, his producers really wanted him to have an editor. I think Brad probably would have wanted to cut it himself, and oh, he did. Wow. He did actually do a fair amount of editing, mm -hmm. um, but I, but we collaborated, um, and uh, it was it was really fun working on that film. I yeah. he shoots great footage, yeah. and um, you know the performance John Hamm and um, yeah Rosamund Pike um, were both really good, and 
I think the the young guy who played the uh, uh, John Hamm's would be um, adopted son who becomes mm. a terrorist. I thought oh, he was yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was really fun. He shoots great footage. There were some kind of you know, multiple cameras every scene, and um, yeah, it was it was intense. When you think about that, because you mentioned uh, you know Michael Pitt, uh, do you feel like part of your job is to kind of make the actors look good in yes. a certain way? Yeah, always. Is that ever? Um, do you ever have a disagreement with how someone was shot, and you feel like in the post you're kind of doing cleanup? Um, I mean, or do you feel like that's just something that you have to do silently in a way? Um. Well, I, I mean, I think it is incumbent upon the editor to make each actor look, you know, for their to improve their performance yeah. as much as possible, mm -hmm. at least in service of the film. Um, so, you know, um, not every actor knows their lines oh, yeah. um, cold. And uh, some do, some don't. And when they don't, you make it look like they do. Um, yeah. So that's part the of the illusion. The illusion, the illusion of, yeah. of, of you know, knowing your lines cold. Um, I think with Stillman's dialogue, for example, it's very difficult for actors. Um, why, why do you think that is? He writes long yeah. speeches. <laughs> and there's also a lot of blocking, too. I mean, they're always walking or... Right. And they're very talky. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, his films aren't so action-oriented. So they're, they're, they are, it's all dialogue. And there's a lot of dialogue depending on, you know, which, you know, who, who, which role. But um, so a lot of what you do is clean up performance and make it look natural and, um, and interesting and compelling. Yeah. So I guess kind of moving into like when you go away from the film age, I guess when we all go away from the film age and we're not going towards, towards digital, I mean, do you, um, how has the process, and I, I obviously it's changed a lot, but in terms of sitting there and being in the editing bay, I mean, how, how do you, how do you kind of keep that um, interesting? Because you're looking at, I guess, a lot of takes, right? You're looking at a lot of footage mm -hmm. and, but you still, you still work a lot. You take a lot of projects. So how do you how do you sort of keep that interesting? I mean, are you always there with the director? Is the director kind of always next to you, or do you feel like you have liberty to kind of oh this this makes sense based on knowing the director's style that I can make this move or I can make this cut? Um, it really depends on the director. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in your question to unpack. Um, initially, depending on the project. I'm often on during production. So mm -hmm. I'm not in the way we work today. Um, I don't sit with a director. We used to go to dailies and yeah. everybody at night. And you know, we would sync up the dailies and this is on film days, and then everybody, the entire crew, or some of the crew at least, would would screen that yesterday's footage with right. um, with the at director. Least, yeah and producers and DP and see how the performances were yeah. and so on and so forth. And then you would sit next to the director and find out which takes he or she liked. Um, today you get, it's more, uh, it tends to be, you don't sit with the director, you get what the, what the director liked on set. You might get that from the script supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I use that as a guide. Um, and, but I, of course, if it's a Whit Stillman thing, I'm thinking, film, I'm thinking, yes, this seems good for a Wit film. Yes, yeah. this feels good for a Larry Clark film. Yes, this feels good for a Brad Anderson film. That kind of thing. Um, as I've gotten older, you know, I, 
I do go by, I, I trust my own instincts more than I, more than I used to. Um, just, it's experience. Um, in any case, so you, I often, generally speaking, I try to put together a rough cut. Uh, it's usually done, and most editors do this, a week or two after production's over. And just so you can see the assembly of, of the film. Um, and then you sit with the director and start picking apart everything. In terms of not being on set, is that a conscious decision? I mean, do you think that uh, you, uh, you don't necessarily think that that would necessarily help the process? Or is that something that you decide deliberately not to do? Or are you encouraged or not encouraged to kind of, I guess, not be on set? I don't like being on set. Um, most editors, well, I don't think most editors like being on set very much. I, d I don't, I th there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. Sometimes shots are really difficult to get, which is irrelevant when you're in the cutting room and when you're sitting in the audience. True. Um, so I don't, if, if the shot's really hard to get, it, it, you might want to like it. It might influence the way you react to it when you see it. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. So I'm just looking at footage just as cold, I don't want to be cold, but as, yeah. as, as divorced from the experience of getting the shot as possible, I, I think is helpful. Um, I don't. Rem I don't want to know how hot it was, how the actor had a tantrum before. Oh yeah. The the, yeah. You know, that take. Those are great stories for people <laughs> who are in production, and yeah. that's fantastic. But it yeah. really, really doesn't matter for the audience watching the final film, because um, you know there's no notes that come out. Yeah. <laughs> with that, so I I don't think it's helpful to be on set. I can be. Um, editors are often solving problems that come up during production or that you didn't foresee or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I can solve a lot of problems in the cutting room that I, I wouldn't be able to solve um, on set. Um, so I feel that my time is much better spent not uh, not on set and yeah. in the cutting room working. Um, yeah. If a director really wants me to come on set and say, you know, I'm kind of nervous about this, whether or not it's going to work. I could really use somebody, you know, use your advice because I trust you. I'd be happy to do it, of course. I would never say no to a director who yeah. really wanted me to be there. But frankly, um, you know, given my druthers, that's not what I do. I, I put the film together. I don't sit around and wait for action. You know, that's just not my job. Is it, uh, has it was it ever... Um a thought or a goal or an impetus ever to um, to say action and to direct and or to write or something or is, is that not something that appeals? Um, not really. Um, I um, we're not really. It just you know it, this really suits me. I'm not a writer. I, I've known that most of my life. I think or um, is that the blank page was really terrifying to me. On the other hand, if you give me a couple pieces of film or yeah. even or even a book, yeah rearranging sentences, um, rearranging film. Um, that is something I can attack uh, very happily. And that really, that's what makes me happy is helping something get better that way. Mm. Not, not writing from the blank page, but taking an idea and shaping it into something, um, something clearer and that communicates more and you know, makes people feel something. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Charlie Says is another one. I saw that. I saw that really recently. Mm -hmm. But that's one where, um, again, you're kind of going back to that 
um, that late '60s, but that time. But then you're also doing um, in the when you see the current the current day and what these um, you know not the current day, but I guess a few years after that fact in the prison, right in the women's prison. So you're shooting different time periods. Um, mm. Is that something that complicates, or is that something that you factor in when you're editing, like? If this was shot in 73 or 74, it's going to look different than if it was shot in 69 or 68. Um, well, very consciously for that film, um, the palette of the prison scenes and the palette of the life on Spawn Ranch yeah. um, looks really different. So yeah. that kind of came, and the scenes are very, very different. Yeah. Um, so they're really, it's kind of like two films in one in a way. Um, not completely, but the prison scenes are very gray. Yeah. And the, there's a lot of, I mean, it, I, I, I think the idea, and this is more of a DP issue mm -hmm. than it is an editor issue, yeah. but I think the consciously the early scenes on Spawn Ranch were much happier and more much more colorful, and then I think it got a little bit yeah. um, less colorful and more sinister. Definitely. As, uh, uh, as, the, as Charlie kind of loses his mind. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, basically I was trying to make those scenes work as best I could, and we actually, Mary, Mary Heron, the director of that film, and I restructured that film a lot um, from how it was shot. Um, you know, the how it was scripted. In in what way? What led to that? Um, we let's see if I can remember. I think we changed. Um, there was a, a, a why is is, uh, is uh, I'm not remembering exactly yeah. why, yeah. but I think we found that it would make more sense for Charlie's aspirations of becoming a successful music musician to be. When, once those are dashed, that's when he kind of loses it, and that was worked better for the film we were making. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there was definitely a moment where he starts to snap, and you see the real Charlie coming out, and right. it's pretty freaking scary, right? So then, um, all right, so I guess the, uh, when you think about the newer stuff, because um, out and about, that's one, and then also mm -hmm. um, another one, I, I saw that, you have, a lot of, you have a lot of films that came out in 2020, but then the, the newest one is, um, is the newest one with the Ch uh, Well and Lauren Ambrose, right? Oh, um, Chibatel EG4. Uh, yeah. That is, <laughs> that's <laughs> a long uh, ago abandoned uh, film. That's a long abandoned project of Michael Amaranis that um, they ran out of money. Yeah. Um, it never got finished as far as I know. So in terms of, um, I mean, we kind of talked about the decision-making, but is there something that, um, or I guess when you look back, I mean, what are you, which films, which collaborations are you proudest of? Um, definitely I love working with Larry Clark. Yeah. Um, it was really a dream. Um, I, I worked with a, I worked on a documentary with a director named David Shiskal. Um, uh, one you probably haven't seen called mm. The Lifestyle. Okay. Uh, early in my career, uh, it was about swingers. Um, oh. It was shot in uh, 1999, I think, mostly. It was very um, uh, kind of frank documentary about swingers, and it really gets in, in, uh, in and how 
politically conservative, many of them, or at least in huh. this particular group, um, and also about how much they love their primary partners. You know, oh, they, wow. They're, they are interested in, it's like a sport for them, these sort of sex parties that they have. Um, well, they used like, to have those key parties, right, and the ice storm and stuff. That's a kind a of a more. That's a little bit different. Um, the people who were the subjects of this film um, were. It's much more. Um, it's a, it's a different. It's a, just a different. It's California, mm. Colorado. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> like not the sophisticated northeast. The northeast, yeah, yeah. Um, these are just more working class folks who. That's what they do as a hobby, like playing golf. And, okay. Um, so no Kevin Klein or anything. No. Okay. No. I love the Ice Storm actually. It's yeah. A great film. Um, that's yeah. my favorite Ang Lee film. Oh, really? Just because it just really moved me. I just that uh, I was just very moved by the film. I I recognize that particular kind of weather as just. I grew up in the Northeast and it just feels just like hit close to home somehow. I, d I can't really explain it. But that's you, what didn't I come across, did, you didn't come across any key parties, though, did you? No, no, okay. I did not. Yeah. That wasn't really my parents weren't into that as far as I know anyway. Yeah, that film was shot um, really interestingly. I mean, I guess I think maybe that's the closest that Aang w came to going like to Sense and Sensibility. Would you agree in terms of, I mean, that's heavily focused on dialogue. Yeah. Is it harder to shoot those long scenes with dialogue and blocking, or is it harder to shoot more, uh, not, I mean, I guess not shoot, in your yeah, in case, edit, but also shoot, is it harder to sort of edit and put together these fragmented action scenes where there's a lot of complicated stunts and weird blocking? I mean, which one, which one tends to be more challenging in terms of connecting those, like gluing those fragments together? Um, well, they're both challenging. Editing yeah. isn't easy, but I would yeah. say, um, depending on how it's shot, um, actions, I, this is a gross generalization, but mm. if an action scene is shot well, it's probably easier to shoot, to cut an action scene. They kind of just, they're, you know, there's a, there's a design to them, so there there isn't a lot, there isn't so much of the fine art of improving performance and stuff like that, which comes with uh, dialogue scenes. And also dropping lines or, you know, that kind of stuff so to make a scene play better. Um, action scenes, it's, it is a bit of a different animal. Um, In the Brad Anderson uh, picture, I mean, that you kind of have dialogue and action, right? Because you have yeah. Tony Gilroy, who's one of the great yeah. writers. Um, does, that, uh, does that kind of... I guess complementary nature of the writer and the director working together in that type of synergy is that something that um, is compelling at all when you when you think about it um, in post. Most of the films I've worked on, uh, the director is the writer. Not all of them, by any means. Um, uh, I mean, I think generally you're just trying to make everybody look good all the time. That's yeah. you know that's. Or you know, or or make the film you're making just be really as compelling as possible. So, uh, kind of looking ahead, um, and again, I I should mention this, but Bully and Ken Park, yeah, they definitely resonated. That skate park scene uh, at the end is pretty mind blowing, and that was probably the first time because I was probably 13 or 14 that I saw a lot of lot of sex. There's right. Definitely a lot of sex right. in that. Um, are those hard to shoot sex scenes, especially longer ones like that? Well, again, I'm not shooting. Uh, editing. Editing. I, I'm so used um, to shooting. Uh, I think the big long scene in Ken Park, that took a while to get right. Um, that was tough. 
there the there's the scene of um, I'm trying to remember the name of the character the the kid who's sleeping with the girl his girlfriend and he's yeah. sleeping with the mother oh yeah yeah that came together really quickly that huh. that was that's really close to first cut and I and I you know it just that's the oral sex scene you're yeah doing? yeah yeah that's I mean that it's not first cut but it just came together I you know and I that's sometimes that happens um, so um, but the longer sort of orgy yeah. scene was really hard I think you know what made that work is Larry had this great idea was to use that country song mm. uh, Shady Streets and Shiny Shoes <laughs> uh, which really somehow made that scene work and wow. it was really really it never quite worked before that and Larry was like let's try this um, let's try this song and uh, there you go yeah there you go thanks Larry yeah so then uh, what's uh, what's kind of what's next in terms of what kind of projects do you want to um, you know I guess uncover and be challenged by and be immersed in next well um, one director I, I love working with we haven't mentioned um, at all is is named Jay Dockendorf. Uh, mm. He oh, did yeah. a film called Nazma League that I edited. Right. He was a first time I saw director that. Yeah. then. Um, I love working with Jay. He's brilliant. He's young. He's a kind person. Um, and we just get along really, really, really well. Yeah. Um, he has a great script that um, I hope will be financed soon. Um, and I'd love to work on that with him. Yeah. Um, Mary Heron uh, has asked me to do her next film, again, pending financing, mm. um, which is about young people. Um, um, and I think that's going to be really good. Um, homeless kids. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's based on a novel called The Orange Eats Creeps, uh, oh, wow. an experimental novel. Mm. Um, and... Uh, I might be working with Phil Hartman on this okay. Redux thing. Who knows? And you know, I mean, we'll just see what comes up. Um, so the, I, I, you know, I, I love to be challenged, and I love working on new stuff. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for that next thing. Well, you're always pushing uh, pushing the boundaries of film with um, your work. I think the collaborations that you describe have been really interesting to watch in terms of the finished product. And um, I'm so happy you were able to do this because I really wanted to talk to you. Um, and again, I guess for the third time, those films, those two films really uh, affected me. It, I'm kind of, uh, I think it's a blessing that I saw them so early um, because they did, they definitely um, kind of unleashed the film interest more and more and more. And then seeing how he, he did some of those things and then those decisions that he made with some of the stuff that he shot was really interesting. But Really, really appreciated talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, you know, really, really, obviously, always, always appreciate seeing your films. They're always, they're always good. So really, really appreciate it.
Let's go.